Aaron, who do you hope is listening to this episode of Out of the Loop Podcast? Rogers and Landry, my two boys, because this is their story, too. Welcome to the Tyler Loops Out of the Loop Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Neal. And it probably made you afraid of dogs. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> Sir, I heard you say grassy ass. Tyler will always be my home. Let's begin. My guest today is out-of-the-loop storyteller, Tyler ISD District 5 school board trustee and friend, Aaron Martinez. Aaron is a certified grounds manager and certified arborist with Christus Mother Francis Hospital. He is originally from Lubbock, but he made Tyler home with his wife of 22 years and his two boys, ages 12 and 15. Aaron loves fighting Texas Aggie football, fishing, golf, and spending time with his family. Aaron, welcome. Thanks, Jane. I'm happy to be here. Let's take a listen to your story from Out of the Loop's first season, told live at Liberty Theater and Tyler in April 2019. My name is Aaron Martinez. I grew up on the north side of Lubbock, Texas, living in a house right next door to my grandparents. Now, with two working parents and my grandparents being so close, it was part of my everyday routine to visit their house. I can still recall the kitchen aromas that would come at me like a wave when I entered the front door. Chorizo and eggs, caldo, but especially my grandmother's homemade tortillas. (laughs) The smell of fresh homemade tortillas still reminds me of my grandparents' home. And I could always count on my grandmother feeding me. Uh, No one could keep an empty stomach for long after entering their house. I knew I could find my grandmother in the kitchen, but my grandfather wasn't always inside the house. You see, to talk with him, I'd have to go out to the woodshed behind the house. His workshop was a retirement retreat that he had built for himself. And there in a cloud of sawdust were dozens of woodworking tools on workbenches. He would spend hours and hours tinkering on wooden gifts and housewares, things like uh, cutting boards and rollers. I remember a small indoor marquee he made for his church that hung in the sanctuary showing attendance and giving. He would let me go out there and spend time with him, uh, pestering him with questions, mostly revolved around what my dad and his siblings were like growing up. One day when I was 12, we had a conversation that stayed with me. He said, Aaron, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or maybe he said, ¿Qué quieres ser cuando seas grande? You see, in a bilingual household, my grandparents would switch from English to Spanish seamlessly. And while I was always most comfortable responding in English, uh, trying to recall now whether they were speaking to me in English or Spanish is sometimes difficult because for me it was all the same. So when I thought about his question, um, I looked at my grandparents and my parents' lives. I had two parents that both had some college, neither graduated. My mom was a longtime sales rep for Southwestern Bell Telephone. My dad spent three years at Texas Tech and uh, left to join his father in the trade. My grandmother was the silent behind-the-scenes servant who indulged her grandchildren and kept everyone fed. My dad was, or my grandfather was a sharecropper who learned a trade as an adult and retired after 27 years of being a sheet metal worker. 
So instead of answering him, I asked him, well, what did you do? My grandfather held out his hands and he said, mijo, I worked outside every day with these hands so you don't have to. Now, I didn't understand at 12 years old what my grandfather was trying to convey to me in that moment, but I do know by the tone of his voice and the look in his eyes that it was something serious. Years later, I graduated from Texas A&M, got married, had a son who we named after my grandfather. He is Rogers Ermilo Martinez. But what I realized only recently was that my grandfather had already given me his name. You see, he's Martinez, my dad is Martinez, I'm Martinez, and now my boys are Martinez. But that name is something that I've only used when convenient. You see, sometimes I'm Martinez, but other times I'm Martinez. Typically, the browner the group, the more likely I am to be Martinez. (laughs) But if the group is English-speaking, I switch to Martinez. Now, I recently had an exchange on Twitter with local education reporter and friend Corey McCoy, where we discussed names. Now, in order for Corey's tweet to make sense, you have to understand that I'm an elected representative of the Tyler ISD Board of Trustees. There are seven of us, and we're elected to represent our community. We set vision and goals for our school district. In addition, out of 48 elected officials, I'm the only Latino. So Corey's tweet begins with this idea of accent marks in people's names. And in print and uh, and how the use of Spanish names properly matters. In 2015, I was elected and I downplayed the fact that I was Latino. I didn't want people to feel threatened or that I was going to be exclusive to any particular group because I'm not. In 2018, after being reelected, I've made a slight shift thinking, recognizing that I was entrusted to represent 46% of our school district, which happens to be Hispanic or Latino, and as a community, has been craving that representation. So Corey's tweet goes on to say, I can't imagine what it means to those families, not just knowing, but seeing they have a representative on the board who cares deeply about their history and experiences and what their children's future can hold. So I reflected on this for a long time, and I realized that my name, Martinez, carries weight beyond me and how I might introduce myself at any given moment. You see, I'm the one elected official whose skin and name resembles that of almost half of our students. And so I have to ask myself, how does my place and my position get used to help give dignity and respect to the 8,300 Hispanic students in Tyler ISD? Well, the answer comes in part to spring of last year as I'm walking the hallways of Orr Elementary with one of my favorite uh, principals, Mr. Stephen Young. And we pop into a first grade classroom and completely spur of the moment, the teacher hands me a book and asks me to read to the class. This is a bilingual classroom and I look down and the book is in Spanish. And it's a translation of a Mo Willems book about a pigeon driving a bus. Now, as I walked out of the classroom that day, I realized that of the seven trustees, it's likely that I was the only one who could have comfortably pulled off what happened in that classroom. As I sat there reading 
No lejas la paloma conduzca al autobús to a group of upturned black, white, and brown faces. My grandfather's words are still with me as I turn them over and over. You see, like him, I am working to make the generation after me better. But what he couldn't have predicted was that I would also work outside with my hands. You see, I'm in charge of the landscape and upkeep of one of the largest commercial properties in Tyler. And I'm continuing his original work, farming, by adding in a vegetable garden to one of our outdoor courtyards. And this is work that I love. Nor could he have imagined that I would one day be an elected representative charged with representing thousands of public school students and families. Now, I don't know what the future holds, whether my son's lives or our TISD students' lives will be easier or harder than my own, but whether they choose to call themselves Martinez or Martinez, my hope is that my work, like my name, matters. My name is Aaron Martinez. Thank you. What a beautiful story. You can hear from the audience response that it resonated, and I hear so much pride in the applause. I love the audio version so much. I was so nervous um, that day, and I don't remember hearing them from the stage. Mm, Nice to have that archive so you can go back and hear just how much support you had. Walk us back through crafting your story. How did a scene from childhood with your grandfather, a tweet by a friend, and story time with elementary school students come together? Well, I owe most of that to you. I feel like when we sat down and I pitched the idea to you, it was a bunch of random stories kind of, you know, trying to become a cohesive unit to tell a story about identity. But I feel like you helped put it and craft it into something that that actually made that to be something. Yeah, thanks. You know, I don't remember which part of your story now, but at, at some point after we had begun the process, we talked on the phone and you said, you know, I was in the shower and this other thing came to mind. Yes. So we added that into yes. <laughs> My grandfather held out his hands and he said, mijo, I worked outside every day with these hands so you don't have to. Your grandfather was deeply invested in the future, and he wanted that future to be different for you than his reality was. And I'm wondering if that's the case for families in Tyler ISD. So paint us a picture. What are parents' lives like now, and what are their hopes for their children as adults? You know, one of the great things about Tyler ISD is the diversity of the families, and not just racial or ethnic diversity, but we have some of the wealthiest families, and we're also 75% economically disadvantaged. The one thing that all demographics share is that desire for our children to have a better future than the parents had, right? So we all want them to achieve hopes and dreams and be the best they can be. And I think that that part of the story resonates with just about everyone, at least from the feedback that I've gotten. You tell us that typically the browner the group, the more likely you are to use Martinez. I did hear a lot of chuckles in the audience, which is to say, Aaron, you know how to code switch to speak to the company you're in. Will you talk to us about that? How have you used code switching and how has it served you well? One of the great examples I like to use is before I moved to Tyler, I was working in the golf industry in Dallas. I was managing a private club and upscale part of Dallas and my wife and I were invited to two weddings on the same day. 
Mm-hmm. And the first was one of the guys that worked for me on the golf course maintenance staff. And it was a big Hispanic family. And it was a sparsely decorated ballroom on the east side of Dallas. He insisted on taking me around and introducing me to all of his family. They served food on paper plates and, you know, Mexican beer. And and then that evening, one of the golf pros at the golf course I worked at was marrying the daughter of a member. It was in a really upscale private club close to Love Field. Every room had a theme and different live music and different food. <laughs> and the who the guest list was like, who's who of Dallas? So being comfortable in both spaces mm-hmm. is something I've been really good at. You know, I owe that to, you know, a lot of the way that I grew up. But I think at the same time, it also contributed to this question of identity too, right? It's like, you know, which which part of me kind of takes over. But yeah, that's an extreme example. But it certainly has helped me navigate the world that we live in and, you know, certainly with my role as an elected official. So I do enjoy it, but it's also something that I've struggled with, which is the reason for the story. Yes, yes. And I will also add, we all know how to code switch, even those of us who are monolingual. It's just that I think having that layer of language takes it even to another level or opens up more doors. Oh, for sure. Certainly. But will you reveal to us, since you had this day where you had these extreme experiences, was one of those more comfortable than the other for you? It was probably the opposite for my wife, right? I was probably a little more comfortable in the earlier wedding, and she mm-hmm. was extremely uncomfortable. And then <laughs> um, and then that kind of flip-flopped in the evening, but just because I could you know, relax more, I think. I downplayed the fact that I was Latino. I didn't want people to feel threatened or that I was going to be exclusive to any particular group. Tell us how things have changed for you since that sentiment when you first ran for school board trustee in 2015. Well, I hope that I've proven that I want the best for all of our students, regardless of where they come from or who they are. And then to be recently reelected, I think it shows that the community trusts my decision-making and my judgment. Um, If that was a concern at all in 2015, I don't feel like it is anymore. Wonderful. That's great news. You tell us that almost half of Tyler ISD students are Latino and are craving representation. What are some specific concerns from Latino parents that you can step in and attend to? In many ways, the success of our Latino students determines how successful we are as a school district. Now, that's definitely a big picture view, right? And I have the luxury of getting to look at it that way a lot of times in the work that I do. But I recently sat down with a group of Latina moms, and the truth is their concerns aren't any different from other moms. They seem frustrated really with not being heard. And I don't think they expected solutions from me, at least at that moment. I think they were excited that I was willing to listen to them. The problem is a lot of times navigating the bureaucracy of government, right? And so those are certainly things that I can help with because a lot of that is either a language barrier or a cultural, you know, Mm -hmm. cultural thing, but it's certainly something that I can absolutely help with if you know, if that really is the, the problem. So full disclosure, I was at that meeting. I think I was one of two white people there. 
was a really nice experience for me to practice my Spanish a little bit. <laughs> but I did notice, and it really made an impression on me, that the concerns of the moms were not ever in the context of, I'm Latina, what do I do? They were my kids being bullied at right. school, or I'm worried they're not being treated fairly, or I'm worried about this teacher's dynamic with my kid, which is what any parent worries right. about, right? I was sitting by a woman who, when you told her, well, she she told a very specific story, and you were able to step in and say, you know, there is someone I can talk to about that. And just the look of relief on her face meant so much to me that she had someone she could trust and reach out to. I think it made a big difference. Yeah, I hope so. Well, with all that has transpired in the past couple of years since you told your story live, would you still tell this story? And if you would, how might you tweak it? So I think the story absolutely still holds up. Obviously, I'm still struggling to use Martinez. And the Hispanic and Latino community is still struggling with representation. There's obviously issues. I don't know that I would have worked them into the story. But if you think about the pandemic, it's no secret that it's hit the Latino communities really hard. Yeah. Um, they're more likely to have jobs that don't allow them to work from home and, you know, distance learning and Internet access is all a challenge. There are some relevant topics. Redistricting is coming up. That's certainly something that could have an effect on representation, too. So so I'm not sure if I would have changed anything, but there are issues that go back to that lack of representation for sure. Do you want to expound on any of that? Where do you see that there are issues with representation and how might that needle be moved? Well, you know, just having the voices in the places that need to be reminding people that that there are people that can't work from home, that have jobs that requires them to be out. And, you know, there's certainly voices that, that need to be in, in some rooms for sure. You are serving another term on the school board. Imagine the most gratifying thing that could happen during this term or soon thereafter. What would it be? So there's a couple things that come to mind. One is Tyler ISD has made tremendous strides in student achievement. But the one thing that has eluded us and it's eluded education as a whole really is the achievement gap. We're finally getting to the point where we fixed a lot of stuff and the district is on a really good path um, of improvement. And we're just now talking about really targeting some specific demographics. And so, man, if we can make a dent in that or an impact in that, that would be awesome. I'd love to see that for sure. The other one is just seeing some facilities finish. You know, we still have you know, Hubbard, which is one of those old open air campuses that, you know, you really think through safety and security issues and it probably needs to be renovated. And so there's still a little bit that needs that needs fixing to wrap up our facilities. I want to ask you to go back to that achievement gap and go ahead and define what is the achievement gap and then maybe help us understand which demographics are struggling right now. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people talk about it in terms of a race or ethnicity gap where, you know, we have black and brown kids that aren't really up to the level of a lot of the, their white counterparts. But it really goes down to, you know, our economically disadvantaged kids. Or most of the time you can kind of group them 
as the ones that, that and, and obviously you're going to have those same demographic breakdowns, right? They tend to be, you know, black and brown kids too. You know, whether you're talking about star testing or participation in AP, um, advanced placement or dual credit or, you know, whatever it is, um, it seems like you know, you're always trying to get that gap closed. So now we're hopefully, you know, taking some steps to really target some demographics and some areas of town and, you know, just saying, hey, what what can we do with, you know, additional staff and trying to really make some progress. So that's coming soon. When you want to change that gap, do you focus more on the younger set? You know, a lot of it boils down to reading, especially early literacy, you know, trying to get our kindergartners, first grade, second grade, third grade kids. You know, once you get past third grade, then you're starting to read to learn, whereas prior to that, you know, kindergarten and first and second, you're you're learning how to read. That is for sure the place to start. The, the sense of urgency comes in, you know, every year that goes by, it's like, hey, did we miss a, did we miss an age group? Like, you know, there's constantly, you know, every year you have a new round of kindergartners and every year you have a new group of first graders. Is there anything else that hasn't come up you would like to address? What's important for you to say? I wanted to for sure compliment you on making these stories accessible. I know at the beginning when we first told those stories, Mm -hmm. it seemed really special to me that it was live and it was in person and you had to be there to see it and be a part of it. And it was a really great experience that those of us that were there got to share And part of me really liked that, that it was, you know, a little bit private. But then when the story started, you know, coming out on the website and stuff and my family got to hear it, it really affected them in a really great way. I mean, I had obviously my parents and my my brother and sister really enjoyed it. But I had, you know, cousins texting me telling him it made them cry. And, you know, I had an aunt text me. So, (laughs) wow. um, So, yeah, I just, you know. Having it accessible for people that weren't there um, certainly changed my mind on on that for sure. Because at first I enjoyed it being something really private. Well, I can understand that safety. As a storyteller, <laughs> you're not airing this to the whole world, but to maybe 300 people. Right. So, yeah, you, you all have done a great job for sure. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to catch up with you. As I think you know, you have a very pleasing voice, so we could add hashtag ASMR to this one. Well, thank you. And maybe we'll get some more traffic that way. Maybe I'll chew gum next time. (laughs) Thank you for sharing with the Tyler LeBaron. Take care. Thanks. The Out of the Loop podcast was recorded at the Innovation Pipeline in downtown Tyler by Preston Hutto with technical support from Neil Katz and Leah Wansley. Music is provided by the Tyler, Texas duo Gypsum and the Travelers. Out of the Loop is a production of The Tyler Loop, a nonprofit news and culture magazine and storytelling platform for Tyler and East Texas. We run on memberships from informed, engaged residents like you who value in-depth, inclusive reporting. Check us out at thetylerloop.com. Mm-hmm.